Hello, everyone. My guest today is Derek Steer. He's the CEO and co-founder of Mode. Prior to co-founding Mode in 2013, he was an early member of Yammer's analytics team. There, he led sales and marketing analytics, drawing upon his experience on the monetization analytics team at Facebook and his background in antitrust economics. Derek, you ready to take us to the top? Let's do it. All right. So I want to jump right in with Yammer. How many people, when you were building out these tools at Yammer, how many data scientists was Yammer employing to work on this problem? So we had, when I arrived, the company was probably like 140, 150 people. We had a team of maybe five analysts. And then there was, I, I forget whether it was right when I started, but um, my Mode co-founder, Josh, eventually split out to start a data engineering team that was responsible both for building out data pipelines and, and managing the quality of our data, and also for building internal software that looked a lot like Mode for us to do our jobs. Um, and that was something that a lot of folks were doing at the time is like they were hiring up teams of developers to work on these sorts of internal tools. Mm -hmm. So what I want to get to now is I imagine you probably had a cushy salary at Yammer. When did you build up a conference to say, you know what, I'm taking a risk. We're going out, we're going to build this and we're going to build it for everybody. Well, uh, the the cushy salary only came after the acquisition by Microsoft. Okay. Um, you know, I... The, the the decision to go and start a company really had to do with the fact that I was waking up every morning thinking about this particular problem and going to bed every night. And, and when I talk to other would-be founders, the advice that I give them is make sure you're obsessed because it's pretty hard. And, you know, I think that obsession with making the lives of analysts and data scientists better is like what has gotten me through some of the challenges of just starting and running a business. Mm -hmm. And so, so can, I mean, actually, can you share, I always like to measure opportunity costs and those sorts of things. I mean, can you share what salary you gave up when you left? Uh, well, it's, I'd have to go do some stock math because oh. <laughs> uh, the, my, my Microsoft shares at that time uh, were, were, were the fraction of what they would They're be better now. now. Yeah. 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 If you look at the price now, it was, it was a seven figure annual type, type of amount. Like, but, but I had no way of knowing that. It, 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 was, it was less than that. I was certainly sure, sure getting paid really well. Yeah. at Microsoft. Now, um, you leave, and some of your early investors are your Yammer bosses. So, yes. so, so walk me through. I think you raised 500000 from them. How much of the company did you sell? Uh, boy, I don't remember. The, so, so I guess it was about 10%, right? The, the yeah. valuation was like in the range of $5 million, which we, you know, we were just triangulating around like kind of standard YC valuations at the time. Um, it was a pretty straightforward negotiation. In fact, um, the... You know, we wanted to do everything really above board, and so we we told our boss that we were going to leave, and we we you know sort of declared our intention to leave, and then after leaving, went back to David Sachs and said, "Hey, we got this thing that we're going to go do. Here's what it is. We brought him a deck, and on the second slide, he was like, okay, yeah, I'm in. Let's do it.' Like, like the, the it's funny. The second slide was um it was GitHub for data, which <laughs> which was like a you know in in 2013 that was like an awesome pitch. Um, but more importantly, he had seen our work and, and understood the value of what we did at Yammer and, and that we could go and, and do it on a bigger scale. Mm -hmm. um, and so he so so he was in and then it was just a very quick, like maybe quicker than I was even prepared for a conversation around like, like, OK, how are we going to do the deal? Like, what's the what are the terms, et cetera? Yep. Branching off a totally different direction. Some of your earlier customers you talked about were folks like Twitch and Lyft. 
And you said in other interviews, you start off at sort of a $3,000 per seat license, but then quickly realized you're going to have teams signing up for massive amounts of users and three grand a seat wouldn't scale. What are customers paying you today on average per seat? Oh, uh, the way that we do it is is based on scale. And we have folks who are buying, you know, four, five, six thousand seats. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have a piece of technology now uh, called Helix, where we do some data processing on our end and and you know, that costs us money. And so we do, we, we have a cost that's associated with that. So the way that we do it now is we have a platform fee and then a per seat fee. Um, the list price on the seat fee is $25 per person per month. Okay. And it, it, it you know, it works like any kind of SaaS product where like we, we go, we, we batch it. So like, you know, the first 500 might be a certain price and the next 500, another one. Yep. Yep. That's great. And so w- walk me through how you learned from sort of t- like, you know, when you discounted your pricing, did you let Twitch come off a three thousand per month seat down to your new cheaper pricing? How do you handle grandfather accounts and pricing experiments? Oh boy, <laughs> grandfather accounts. So, so I think we've been through probably like seven different models that that vary a little bit. I mean, we we introduced freemium not initially, but later, and that threw a wrench into some things. So we had some people who decided they wanted to go freemium, and some people we kind of grandfathered into pricing on a on a business tier. Um, in general, we try to do right by our customers. Um, that's really it. And if you made an early commitment to mode and, and you want to keep doing it, then we're, we're going to try and, and accommodate you. Um, and I, I think I'm really proud of how we've supported some of our early customers to grow to be, to be very big. And I think that, that, that trying to do right by them has been a part of that. And how many customers are you serving now today? Just logos, not seats. Yeah, uh, it's around 600. This is like okay. the most recent thing that we published. Yeah, that's great. And you know, one of the things you have on your website is 52% of the Fortune 500 folks are, are using you guys. I mean, obviously, there's probably significant expansion opportunity there to add more value to that cohort. But eventually, you've got to open top of funnel and, and move back downstream to get more customers and add more products and drive more ARPU. How do you think about that transition? Has it already started? Um, I think the... Mode is a land and expand business, and and the the important thing to understand about Mode is that we started off as a very analyst centric company. That's my background and my co-founders' backgrounds, and that's the thing that we knew how to solve. And maybe most importantly, that was the hole in the BI space. Yeah. Right. BI generally, as a category, decides that the technical person's job is to specify the system. Right. They build out a menu of metrics, and then the actual analysis or dashboard building or whatever is going to happen by people who aren't professional analysts or like aren't necessarily super technical. Mode is about supporting the people who are technical. Like that's that's where we started at day one. The where we've evolved, and I think you know pricing is tied into this, right? So the notion of paying three thousand per seat per year is focused on delivering a certain value to analysts only, right? Like that's a price you can command as a very critical workflow tool for one person. But when the value is actually distributed across many people, like in Mode's case, the value is not in providing some groundbreaking new way to do analysis. What we provide is great collaboration around that analysis. So the value is is, uh, experienced by lots and lots of people. So a lower price spread across an entire audience makes more sense. So. When we think about the way that we expand, you know, that was a part of it was shifting from that pricing model to one that again is now like 25 per seat per month as opposed to 250 per seat per month. When I look at the way that we expand in the future, 
it is about going wall to wall. Like you were saying, okay, well, you know, what's with 50% of the Fortune 500, how do we, how do we allocate resources between existing and new customers? The, the answer is we've always got to be bringing people into the top of the funnel, but price isn't necessarily the most important thing for us there. The most important thing is landing because we have a product that sort of naturally, like just through the natural analytical workflow starts to expand. Mm -hmm. The thing that we're, the the sort of path that we're on now and and what we've talked about with our customers and a little bit publicly is, you know, once we expand, once as a, as an analyst or data scientist, once you've shared your work with lots of other people at the company, those people need to be served well too, right? Like as a, as an analyst, your reputation lies in the thing that you produce and that you hand off to them, right? You are doing a good job only if you produce a good product and mode has to do that. Part of a good product is something that they can expand upon, work further from. And so what you're going to see from mode in the coming year is a lot more that's geared toward making the analyst look like a superhero by empowering their own customers. Previously, like when we started, all about empowering the analyst, now empowering the analyst to empower their customers. Analyst is a superhero. I want to come back to that in a second. But first, with this approach where you're sort of trying to democratize this sort of technology means a lower price point, more people. You know, you started doing this, I th- you know, I think more than 12 months ago. What does your company growth rate look like over the past 12 months on a percent basis with this sort of strategy? Huh. Well, you, you picked an interesting year to ask that question. Yep. Um, you know, I, I think I we, we tend to keep the like high level revenue and the, and the growth stuff generally within the company. Um, but that continues to grow pretty fast and and be an exciting business to be a part of. Like we are we are in the tens of millions revenue range. I know that's. I was going to say, Derek, you know you know I listen to the show, so you know I'm going to push you on this. I won't pin yeah, you down yeah, exactly, yeah, I but I know the show. I, I we, know the show. Can I? I mean, can we put you in sort of the hundred percent year over year growth club? I mean, would, is, is that a fair statement? Yeah, yeah, I think okay. so. Uh, it's it's been a little bit lower than that this okay, year. Fair. I think. In some in some very interesting ways, yeah. um, but it is yeah I think that's like the right range to, to put us. Okay, well I mean look at the hot space right I mean we had Frank Bean on uh, you know seven months before before you know the acquisition happened and I straight looked at him on that call and said are you in acquisition talks with Google right now for billions of dollars and he said huh. no and then smirked at the same time I'm like, something's happening here right so you're in a very very hot space and and. One of the, you know, on the flip side, you know, folks like you get all the attention where people don't spend a lot of attention are the folks that try to do what you do, but then they fail for some reason. And I talk to a lot of those folks and usually the reason they fail is they fail to identify a utility value for the data they're surfing. Like they don't enable their customers to actually deliver and become a superhero internally. So let's now go to that sort of a business, right? You know, a lot of SaaS companies that are in your space at your scale uh, are building communities to drive stickiness and expansion. Do you have sort of a analyst superhero community you're building somehow? So, so this is a, the company that does this really well is Fishtown, uh, the makers of DBT. I've never heard of them. Oh man, company to watch for sure. Okay. They did a series A with Andreessen pretty recently. Um, you know, they live between Fivetran and Mode. So okay. Fivetran brings all your data into a database. You need to then transform it to make it you know, really effective for analysis. DBT is kind of the product, right? That's that's going to be the next thing. And if we were going to build it, we would do it the way that they did it. Um, and the name of the company is is Fishtown. So hmm. they've built a really excellent community. I think they're really good at that. Um, we've been talking a lot about like what the future of this is going to look like. And, and we've done some things in the past that have been really effective. So 
you know, the founding team for Modus, three people, um, myself, Ben Stansel, and Josh Ferguson. Of the three of us, Josh is the only engineer, right? Hmm. Ben and I can do analysis. We can write some code, but like it's different from building production software. So in the early days, what we did is we very quickly hired some other extremely capable engineers. And then they worked with Josh on actually making the product. And what Ben and I did, you know, we did some amount of customer development and understanding what the product should become, though we also had an intuitive sense for that because we had done it ourselves internally at Mode already, or at, sorry, at, at Yammer. Um, so, so we knew kind of what it should look like. So we spent a lot of time writing blog posts, building content, and essentially just making sure that the Mode brand was associated with good analysis. And I think that's the thing we're really good at. Like, like we're not, our, our DNA is not to have like the, the super thriving Slack channel that, that Fishtown has. They're going to do that better than we are. And they are doing an awesome job of it right now. Um, what we can do really well is make the best analyst and data scientist focused content, uh, the type of thing that helps businesses understand the value of good analysis. Um, one of those things that has been, honestly, I, on essentially a whim, in early 2014, wrote this SQL tutorial. And, you know, I had taught SQL at basically every business I'd been at. The big problem with SQL as it was taught, like if you were to go buy a SQL book at that time, and maybe even still today, uh, it's focused on software development, which mm -hmm. means that the first chapters are going to be about setting up your database getting data into it, and doing all this other stuff that doesn't matter at all if you're an analyst. Like, if you get hired as an analyst, you're going to come into a situation where that already exists. And what you need to do is write the world's best select statement. Like, you need to be able to get data from a database and transform it and do stuff with it. You don't need to do the other stuff. So I wrote this tutorial that we call SQL School, um, and it lives on Mode's website. You can go to it, and there's a little resources tab, mode.com, resources. It is one of the most popular tutorials on the internet, and I think the reason for that is it approaches the user as though their only knowledge is Excel, right? It's like, we're going to assume you're not a programmer. You know some concepts from Excel, uh, you know, like what a spreadsheet looks like, but mm -hmm. maybe you haven't worked with databases before. And we're going to teach you all the basics of that stuff without forcing you to create a database and do all this other heavy lifting. And that's been tremendously, I mean, this thing gets hundreds of thousands of uniques a month. Yeah, and, I'm seeing that. for a while. <clears throat> so... So, so like that, you know, that's the place when you think about community and of, of analysts, I think the place where we'll be really great in the future is around uh, continued education, making great content, that kind of thing. So let me just ask you something. I mean, you just raised 33 million bucks, I believe, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, would you, do you ever say, you know what, let's, let's pull off 5 million of this and go buy a community like codewars.com where developers are competing on quizzes. I mean, you're already doing a bunch of these quiz sort of things on this resources page. You get a list of a million engineers by doing that. I mean, do you ever, would you ever go buy a community like that? Oh, I think it's hard. I, I mean, so for our audience, authenticity is critically important. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's true for, for technical audiences in general. Um, people just smell sales and that kind of thing. And, and nothing feels worse to me than buying a community, mm -hmm. right? Like, it just... Well, I don't, I, I, I just think, I, th I think that our, our, our customers in the market would, would view that as, uh, too corporate maybe. Yep. Yeah. No, it makes good sense. It makes good sense. So content's a strategy, you know, maybe not build your own community, just put out great content that allows these analysts to become superheroes internally. Love yeah. that. And All I right. Think, like, look, community forms around that too, right? Like it's not a deliberate yeah. effort for us right now to like 
have a conversation going in a forum or on our Slack channel or anything like that. Like that's not, that's not an explicit effort that we have. Um, but but it, but it probably will be at some point. Yeah. Talk to me about your team today. You mentioned the founding team. How many folks are on the team today total? About 120. One, okay. And how many engineers? 40-ish plus 40. some more for product design. Okay. And how many quota carrying reps do you have? Do you know? Seven, eight for eight. new business. Okay. Yeah. When did you hire your first out of curiosity? What revenue were you doing when you hired your first quota carrying rep? Hey, Derek, we'll edit that out. Oh, okay. I think I got you back now. Yeah. Okay, what, cool. what stage were you with that first rep? <laughs> okay. Uh, so, so the first rep, um, so we were a little more than a year old as a company. We had been in public open beta. We had some folks who were using the product. Um, this is October 2014. Okay. Okay. Um, were you at half got, a million run rate already or no? Not even close. Not even close. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, we were at like... Um, we were, uh, somewhere North of zero and South of 50 K. So <laughs> oh, wow. an ARR. So, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Look, okay. Look, look, and so what the, the composition of this founding team is a bunch of people who are like pretty analytically sound and have done analysis on larger businesses in plenty of different areas. Like there's an understanding of how products should work and how go to market should work from like running the numbers at bigger companies but it's very different. And like, I certainly had to learn this the hard way. It's very different to sell than to analyze sales. Yep. Um, and had I known that at Yammer, I probably would have like done some parts of my job differently. Uh, but anyway, we, we realized pretty quickly that we wanted someone who was going to be a more of a sales expert. And then in the process of interviewing people, found someone um, who coincidentally worked with it worked, worked at Yammer, but, but we didn't know him super well. His name's Chris Davis. He was our, our first sales hire. Um, he was like kind of fresh into AE land. He, he, he had come out of being a, a, a very successful BDR at Yammer, um, had done a couple of deals, but, but didn't, didn't really have a ton of skill closing yet. Mm -hmm. Um, eventually we ended up hiring an advisor to help him. So someone to come in and do deal review. She came to our office every Monday, went through our CRM, acted Who was like she? a sales manager. Sorry. Who was she? Uh, her name's Annalise Hussman. She also, she, she was at Yammer uh, briefly as well. I mean, we were hiring the people we knew who were good, yep. you know, um, and she had gone to AdRoll. So while she was at AdRoll, uh, she would, after her, you know, day job at AdRoll, she would show up at our office on Monday. We our, our office was like three blocks away at the time. And so she would walk over from AdRoll, do our deal review Monday afternoons. Um, and then eventually we hired her as our, as our first sales leader. Ah. And she took the company from like, you know, ballpark, you know, 500K to 10 million. Yep. And that was that 10 million. I think you hit what about October or last year, 2019. Yeah, I think, I think that's right. Somewhere in there. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Hey, last question I want to ask. There's a lot of folks earlier stage SaaS companies able to access debt these days, probably on much better terms than what you raised the 375. I think you raised 375 back in 2015. Is that number accurate? And if so, why'd you do it? And do you regret it? Or was it powerful? Um, I heard you like bootstrapping. I love bootstrapping. You lo oh, you love bootstrapping. I love it. Um, here's what I'd say. So I got a really great piece of advice in the early days um, that I didn't actually realize was advice at the time from Yammer's then CFO, Mark Woolway, who said, uh, 
because a different gamer group had split off and raised immediately, like day one at like a $20 million valuation on a business that, you know, mode has surpassed. Mm -hmm. Um, His take was that $20 million valuation is not good for anybody. And what I saw was that they made hires right off the bat that probably didn't make sense. They weren't like the necessary people to find product market fit. Now, I don't want to be too critical because like startups are hard. I don't know what's going on there. But what I can say is that um, a certain amount of hunger, you know, sharpens the senses and and really focuses you in. And, and I think, look, we had it easier than most. Like we raised basically on day one from from David Sachs and from some other Hammer execs. And then we went out to people that they knew and raised another round that I think 375, I think is right. Yep. Um, or or uh, actually, I think it was more like one 1.2 million. Then maybe we added 375 to that or something. I don't remember the exact order. Okay. But we raised a bunch more money from... Uh, Formation 8 and from some other folks at that time. And we just had money. Like we had money to spend even from the earliest days. And if I were to do it differently, I would bootstrap longer. The resources are also different today. Like you can just go get 100K in AWS or Google credits. And you, yeah. can, you, can, you can run your business pretty much for free for a pretty long time. Um, I, I wish we had done that. I wish we had... I wish we had gone super, super lean in the early days because I think we would have found the market faster we've been focused. I mean, you can hear me on other podcasts talk about some of the experiments that we ran with like like you know GitHub, like a public like an open source community a la GitHub yep. for data. Um the, you know there are other places where I've explored that more, but uh I think we would have just gotten much faster to like the core elements of value with less money. That's great. Well hey you're you're on a tear. It sounds like almost from percent year over your growth and a really tough year for everybody. You know, if you're, you know, in the tens of millions above ten million and a twenty-five bucks a seat and six hundred customers, you've got to be getting close to a million seats here soon. We'll, we'll hopefully maybe you'll hit that next year. We're we're all rooting for you, man. Uh, any any you're not any acquisition you're not in any acquisition talks with Google, are you? <laughs> Me and Frank. Uh uh, no, they're not an acquisition dogs in Google. Fair enough. And did you guys talk about, you just raised a 33 million. I mean, usually at that stage, you're probably selling somewhere between five and 10% of the business. Were you sort of in that range? Uh, again, those are the sorts of things, you know, we, we don't talk about the valuation publicly. So, uh, Sorry, maybe maybe years down the road we can go back and talk about that. Okay, very good. I will I will hold you to that. You'll get an email from me exactly every year from this point forward, and we'll keep following up, Derek. Let's wrap yeah. Let's wrap up here with the famous five. Number one, what's your favorite business book? Uh, hard thing about hard things. There are some chapters that I still go back to on a regular basis. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying? You know, uh, I I have a guy that I connect with on a regular basis. Uh, and we met just through kind of Silicon Valley stuff, uh, a guy named Jim Benton, who is now the CEO of Chorus. And and it's I I think he's just like clearly excellent at what he does and uh, always has something really insightful to share with me. And because he's running a business of, of similar scale, uh, super, super helpful. I think that's important to find mentors who are, you know, the types of people you aspire to be and, and who are running businesses, you know, or have run businesses that look kind of like yours. Mm-hmm. Number three, Derek, besides mode, what's your favorite online tool for building the company? Uh, besides Momo was going to be my answer. <laughs> I use uh, it a lot, I bet. I think Coda, honestly, like the, the ability to, to structure, to structure documents. Can they beat like, Notion? Can they beat Notion? I just think they went through very different paths. You know, he he raised sixty million bucks basically on day one pre-revenue. Notion was basically bootstrapped into a massive round. They yeah. both basically do the same thing. You like Coda though? 
I like both products. Um, Coda okay. happens to be a thing. Coda is a customer of ours. Uh, so is Notion. Um, and I like working with with both teams. And I use Notion personally. Uh, we just happen to use Coda mode. Uh, that's just the way it evolved. Like someone on a, a product team, I think, just started using it. And, and that's you, the way it went. When you have you can, both. <laughs> you, can embed, you can embed mode into Coda, but not Notion. That is one critical thing. Is today, mode, mode embeds work in Coda. Very good. That is the most diplomatic answer I've gotten from a CEO who has cus- who has two customers and has to give an answer that caters to both of them. But also, I felt like it was very honest. <laughs> There's reasons you love yeah, both. Yeah. <laughs> Number four, Derek, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Uh, it depends on the night. I, I have a um, I have a toddler, uh, oh, wow. so that's been decreasing. So uh, it's yeah, in the range of like six to seven. Okay. And just one kid or multiple? Just one. Yeah, I have okay. a one and a half year old. Married with a kiddo. And how old are you? How old am I? Uh, I am, depending on when you air this, 35 or 36. When's your birthday? Uh, January 7th. Oh, happy happy early birthday. That's great. Thank you. Okay, take us back 15 years. What's something you wish you knew when you were 20? Uh, I... This is gonna, this is such a cop-out answer, I know, but like, I I am very happy to have generally done the things that I have been passionate about, and I have found great success in that. And I don't think I knew it explicitly, but it's just what I happen to do. Like I've been the type of person my whole life who gets extremely motivated about certain things, and I and I really succeed where I am motivated, and uh, where I'm not motivated, I I don't succeed quite to the same degree. Uh, there's my other diplomatic answer for you. Um, I, I think this is really important, and, and as I reflect, you know, I, it's not something that I really thought about, but it, but it has been probably the most important lesson of my life, is to always make sure that I'm doing stuff that I'm passionate about. And when you asked me earlier about opportunity cost and salary, like, it doesn't even, it doesn't even factor in for me, really. Like, it's, I just was so passionate about starting this particular business with those two co-founders that like there was nothing that was going to get in the way of that. Guys, mode.com, making analysts superheroes, internally, externally, everywhere, launched in 2013 with, again, three co-founders all together, raised 500K at a $5 million valuation right on day one, have scaled since then, finally up past 600 customers, hundreds of thousands of seats on the platform, passed a $10 million run rate last year, and almost up to that 100% year-over-year mark, obviously in a tough year for everyone. But hot space, we'll see what they do next. Derek, thanks for taking us to the top. All right, thanks so much for having me.